You are listening to You Are Not Broken, the only podcast that combines science, medicine, and psychology to re-educate your brain and help you live your best love life. And I'm your host, board-certified female urologist, Dr. Kelly Casperson. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Today is episode 180, which is awesome. It's so huge. And the other cool thing in the 800s or the 80s is I just hit 800,000 total downloads to this podcast, which is absolutely fantastic. And, and it's just another day because I know I'm going to hit a million with you guys like pretty soon with like 50 to 60,000 listens a month at this point. It is going hot and heavy and strong to hit uh, 1 million downloads in the first part of 2023. So thanks so much for being on this journey with me. It's absolutely amazing. I know it's changed your lives. It's changed my lives. It's changed our lives together, which is super fun. This is an episode today that I am I absolutely loving. Number one, uh, I was laughing at it because it. I think I'm hilarious at several regions in this in this episode. But the other thing is how able my interviewer, Dr. Kathy Zhang, was in getting me very comfortable with getting pretty vulnerable and sharing a lot of things about myself that you probably have not heard before in this episode. And it's just such a masterfully done podcast episode. I talk about sex, of course, but I basically talk about my journey in getting to the point of how I am somebody who talks about sex and what my personal growth journey has looked like. So I'm assuming that you guys are going to love hearing about that because I think you can all take it and steal it and use parts that are useful for you in your own personal growth and life experience journey. So I'm happy to share this episode. It was originally aired a week ago on The Purpose Filter, which is an amazing podcast by my friend, Dr. Kathy Zhang, who's a palliative care physician over in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, she did such a fabulous job with it that I'm like, would you mind if I shared it on my podcast for my people? So I hope you guys get a lot out of it. Speaking of New York... Dr. Zhang. Um, I'm going to be in New York this Friday. So I'm flying out Thursday, going to be in New York, and I'm going to be there with the swell and I am Stripes, which is both, which are both amazing companies that are basically re- rebranding, repurposing the perimenopause, menopause era as a opportunity and a time to thrive, not a time to feel shitty about yourselves. So let's work on that together, shall we? So if you go, if you want to see me in New York and everybody else, because there's an amazing lineup of like, literally, this is not about me. There's going to be like 20 other experts on menopause, various aspects of menopause. I'm actually doing a, I'm going to moderate a panel on sexual health and perimenopause and menopause. Um, but there's going to be lots of other aspects about menopause there. So We've got 8 million people in New York, so 4 million are women, and probably a third of them are perimenopause, postmenopause at least. We're talking about tons and tons of people. There are still tickets available. This is October 14th, 2022. It's called the New Pause Symposium in New York City. If you go to theswell.com slash event slash menopause summit slash New York slash checkout, something like that will get you there. Or just go to Instagram and go to theswell. Uh, at this is the swell on Instagram and you can do their link tree and that'll take you there. So buy a ticket. You got a ticket for the day or you can buy a bigger ticket and have dinner with us on Friday night, which will be awesome. So I'll see you guys in New York. I have not been to New York City in 16 years, but I'm taking me and my new haircut and my leather jacket and I'm going to go try to 
remind myself how to get around that city. I'm very excited for the energy of the East Coast. Watch out. I'm bringing you some West Coast energy. So I love you guys so much. Here's episode 180 with 800,000 total listens. You guys, if you wouldn't mind, leave me a review. Leave me some stars. Subscribe. That all tells Apple, etc., that it's important and worth listening to. And that's how they share it with more people. So get us to a million. Share with your friends and family. Subscribe, follow, and like. I love you guys so much. This is why I sit in my basement and talk to myself. Because I know truly I'm talking to you guys. I hope you enjoy this episode. All my love. Talk to you soon. Kelly. I was going to say, you know how many women I see who are like, oh, well, I haven't taken care of myself in 15 years. I figured it's finally time. A lot of people are like, well, my husband died. So now it's time to take care of myself. Like I see that all the time. Yeah. And, you know, what are we teaching young girls and young brides that like you put your whole self away for the service of others until they're dead? Now it's your turn. Like that's not explicitly written anywhere. Again, I, you know, I just think sex is like the final frontier of personal growth of like everything you do to have a better sex life spills over into the rest of your life. Like I can make your pelvis perfect, but if you don't clean up your biggest sex organ, which is your brain, that's where all your power is. I will be entirely truthful with you and tell you that prior to that conversation, I would never have said that the brain is your biggest sex organ. So if you thought that educational nugget was powerful, wait until you hear the rest. My guest this week is Dr. Kelly Casperson, urologist, author, and host of the chart-topping, wildly popular podcast, You Are Not Broken. Her mission is to empower women to live their best love lives, combining the power of mind, body, and relationships to joyously break down the societal barriers that are keeping them from awakening into their best intimate experience. But Kelly wasn't always like this. Like so many of us who are just getting by and living on autopilot, she would also come home from work, drink wine, watch Netflix, and go to bed. She shares the exact moment she realized that the status quo was no longer acceptable and that her life was meant for more. And while we do talk about sex and intimacy, this episode is so much more than that. At the end of these 45 minutes, you will discover the tools needed to create incredible sexual experiences like mindset, emotional awareness, intentional action, gratitude, and compassionate communication. And if you listen closely, you might just realize that these are the exact characteristics necessary to create a meaningful, fulfilling, and extraordinary life. So if you're a sexual being or just a human one who wants to live a little bit better, then this episode is a must listen. Let's get to it. Let's start a little with lightheartedness. What is your favorite urology joke? What are you on the way to the toilet? What? Russian. What are you when you're done with the toilet? Finnish. What are you when you're in the toilet? In the toilet, what? I like to say you're Putin. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. What What do you say when you can't pee? What? You're in trouble. <laughs> I love, I love, I love it. Those are hits with like the old men. Oh, like and I'm an old man stuff. on the inside, so yeah, yeah, it's yeah. perfect. They love it. <laughs>
they're they're all cranky. They don't want to be at the doctor. They can't pee. And then I tell them that, and then they're like, <laughs> so good. It's like old man lube. <laughs> it's instant rapport, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Speaking of old men, so when I was in med school, urology conjured up visions of old white men, you know, doing procedures and making penis jokes. And I was curious because I had a very great interaction with a female urologist once. So can you talk a little bit more about being a female in this largely male-dominated industry and how that's influenced your journey today? Yeah. Well, I, I went to med school in Minnesota and there was one female urologist in the entire state. And I still to this day have never met her. And now that I am where, so fast forward 15 years, right? Like where I am now with female sexual health and, you know, sexual equality and stuff like that is like understanding it is how it is because it was all men, right? Like we didn't care because mm -hmm. they didn't care. Because I'm like, why am I part of a revolution, right? Like why am I the one who's like telling people to care about this stuff? And in understanding like 90% of urology is men and men taught men and those men got taught by men. And there really wasn't like the female voice and there wasn't the person being like, should we care about the people who are sleeping with the people we're giving Viagra to? And so like it really helps me understand like why I'm part of the revolution is because I'm the minority. And I, I think with any minority, you see things differently, right? Like your perspective is different. You come from a different place. And with that brings an incredible gift of being like, this is what I have to contribute. This is my voice. This is how I get to, to help the group. Yeah. So it's fun. It helps me understand it better. Instead of thinking like, why am I this weirdo who cares because nobody else does? It's like, it's because I am the minority. It's because we're the 9% of practicing urologists in America are female. But how did she get here? Like many other children who were the first in their family to become a doctor, Kelly remembers a pivotal moment in her childhood that showed her exactly what was possible. The only person I remember being a doctor was this guy who was a neurosurgeon, and he walked across the street once. We were in anatomy. She's like, look at his brain cross the street. <laughs> look, I just think of all that information in his brain crossing the street. So I was sitting in the car with my mom, and I think I was talking to her about like maybe being interested in going to medical school. And she said, you need to commit. You just decide, and then you do it. And it was like, oh, you just make a decision, and then you do it. Right. And like that was so pivotal of like you just kind of step into that being something you do. And along the way, she was given some not so friendly advice that would eventually plant the seeds for her to become an advocate for women who are suffering in silence. I started out MD, PhD, and I was told like I couldn't drop out because I was taking somebody else's spot. Wow. Like that's what I was told when I was considering dropping out of the PhD program. I think women are socialized of like, you're, well, if we give it to you, you're, we're taking somebody else's spot. Ugh. And just how damaging that is, you know, to be like, well, inherently it's kind of true. But like to tell somebody that is, I think, makes you really feel like you don't belong there or like you were just put there as a token, you know, that it's always stuck with me of like when they said that to me, I was like, oh, this doesn't this doesn't feel very good. I don't really feel welcome. Hmm. I ended up actually leaving that program. Yeah, I wonder why. But uh, yeah, I think a lot of women don't feel, again, going into like the minority thing and what women feel is like, we don't feel like these places are ours or they're always welcoming. 
When we feel as though we don't belong, it breeds and reinforces feelings of quote-unquote otherness or less than. And of course, being in the minority often leads to feelings of being unworthy. Here's Kelly's advice to people who want to take up space and come into their own just like she has. It's like we all belong. We're all here on the earth. And some things weren't created with us in mind, but that doesn't mean that's how it always has to be. And I think realizing like your inherent worth comes from within. And like, if you don't say what you have to say in the way you're going to say it, it might not never be said. And you have a, it's so unique for anybody, right? Of like, we were put here to find that voice and to say it our way. Instead of looking at it as like, non-conforming of like, it's really what makes you sparkle in the way you sparkle is because you have that. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, this thing about us being inherently self-worthy is such a thing, especially as women that we're just like, we always feel with the need to do something or achieve something or be more in order to get that worthiness. And I think that really bleeds into how we live our lives, sexuality for sure, um, and that sort of thing. And when we feel that our self-worth is inherent, it completely changes how we show up in the world. I met Kelly at a conference and we started talking about how she wanted to give a TED Talk. So I recommended a coach who could help her with that. By the next morning, she had already watched all of their videos, joined their Facebook group, and scheduled an introductory call with them for the following week. Talk about massive action, right? Here's what she had to say about taking action and giving ourselves permission to share our voice. I really recently, like, realizing this life is short and it's exactly what I create, right? And it's, like, going to be as wild as I choose it to be. And, like, we give away all of our power. Like, we just it, we just wait for permission. And when I, I've been, my podcast has been, like, two and a half years now. But like, again, there was a point where I didn't have a podcast, right? And um, I was waiting for somebody to tell me I knew enough and that I was the right person to do it and that I had, I was expert enough. And because I, I hadn't done a, I still haven't done a, the fellowship in female sexual health, which there's one fellowship in America and five people have done it. But I was like, oh, I didn't do that. So who am I to have a podcast? And um, I remember being, I was getting out of the shower where like all the good plans happen and uh I was like, I keep, I, I was trying to figure out who was going to give me permission. Like this, I had like a specific guy who was, I was like, that's the guy who's going to give me permission. And then like lightning struck and it was like, oh, I'm supposed to give myself permission. Mm -hmm. Well, shit, that, why did that take so long to figure out? Right. And so now I'm like, oh, you're going to do it. I'm going to do it. You're going to write a book. You're going to write a book. You're going to go do the audio for the book. Go do the audio for the book. Nobody's going to give you permission to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love um, what Mel Robbins says, it's like, you know, no one's coming. We all think that someone's coming. We're going to have like some sort of savior, right? And then it's just like, oh, no, it's me. It's all, it's all on us. It's all on us. And I, as a fellow podcaster, I think what I had to reckon with was realizing that kind of I had a voice and doing the work to do that and then being able to give a platform for others. Is that something that you had to reckon with as well? Yeah, I mean, I didn't know I had a voice really. I was just like, I have all this information. I need to share it. I like, you know, brought on experts and stuff like that. But it's like when you do a podcast for two and a half years and it keeps growing and it's like at the top of the charts, then you start realizing like, oh, they like me for my voice. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Because again, it's like the same thing of like me being like 
profoundly confused as to why I'm part of a revolution of like, it's all available in the books. Why don't you just go read it and then learn everything about it's like, no, it's like most people don't go read all the books, right? There's something unique about that. And uh, they, they want to listen to somebody who's like friendly and funny and engaging. And like, I have that voice. And that is now like my gift. Yeah. You actually come from a family with broadcast experience, right? Yeah. I know. I joke now because I'm like, it's a genetic disorder. <laughs> but my uh, my grandpa was in the 1940s, was a radio guy in KDAL, I think it was KDAL, in Duluth, Minnesota. And like radio was the media, right? There was no other media. I mean, there was a newspaper, right? but like TV was brand new. So like the celebrity of the town was the guy on the radio. So that was my grandpa. And so the, our last name, like people still occasionally be like, are you related to Carl Casperson? And then recently my brother just started a podcast like four months ago and he's like out of the gate successful. It's like insane. He's got like the best radio voice. So it's a, kind of a really fun sibling bonding thing that we didn't have before he started podcasting. So now I'm like, okay, there's three of us, like definitely a genetic disorder. <laughs> Genetic disorder or not, Kelly is being slightly modest. She's closing in on a million downloads of her podcast, You Are Not Broken, and even she is occasionally floored by the extent of her impact. I still get this, even though like the the download numbers are crazy, but it's like, I'm kind of just talking to myself in my basement, <laughs> you know? But then you'll get people and they'll be like, because of you, I went to my doctor. Because of you, I talked to my spouse. Because of you, I talked to my kids. Because of you, I blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, you reach, you realize your reach is so much bigger than, you know, air quotes, just being a doctor. Mm -hmm. But like, you know, when I was in med school, the big thing was like, if you want to help one person, you become a doctor. If you want to help a lot of people, you get your MPH, your master's in public health. Right. Right. Like, I remember that as a saying. And now I'm like, well, times have changed. If you want to help one person, be a doctor. If you want to help lots of people, be a podcaster. But that kind of impact doesn't just happen. It's a result of knowing who you are and being authentic to your interests, passions, and desires, and recognizing how they can bring joy to others around you. I saw this recent video. I saw a video today, actually. It was like three twins, and they all had birthday cakes, and the, it went through, like, each twin asked for a certain birthday cake, and the first one wanted, they were like twin girls. They were probably, I don't know, four or five and the first one wanted a unicorn and the second one wanted a princess cake. And then the third one wanted a cucumber cake. And she was just like there and they filmed her and she was having a, a cucumber cake. But it just made me think of how much joy that one little girl through that video was bringing to other people just by being herself. Right. Just by like being authentically herself by you just being like, I've what do you mean? Like, no one likes to read sex journals um, and research, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, this is just me, you know? And I'm the same way. I'm like, like, doesn't everybody read academic journals on their couch after the kids go to bed about sex and then yeah. still struggle with their sex life? Like, anybody? No? Okay. Yeah. Just me. Exactly. <laughs> but it's just really us. like the unique just parts us. of you that like can make you massively successful, right? Like, if I just cared about talking about watching whatever people were watching on Netflix so I could talk about it in the operating room with everybody, like, that's me being average and not making time for, you know, what I actually like doing and helping people. But it's easy to be average. Just just consume media. Mm -hmm. Consume, scroll, rather than, you know, produce, right? It's um, It's just like this autopilot of 
wake up, go to work, do all this stuff and then come home. And then it's been 20 years and you're like, oh, shit, um, where did my life go? Yeah, totally. And like that's used to be me. Right. Like, again, like talking about like I'm fully formed, I'm becoming fully formed. But like at one point it was like do residency, come home, drink wine, go to bed, repeat. Mm -hmm. Like that was surviving. You know, and you get out of that to be like, maybe I don't want to drink wine anymore. Maybe I want to exercise more. Maybe I want to read more books, you know, and like finding I just I have as many hours in the day now as I used to. I just do different things with it. So was there a, a turning point? Like, did something happen, a traumatic event or an enlightenment or something that made it be like, no, this is not this status quo is not acceptable anymore? A thought in my head that I caught like, we, you know, we have all these thoughts and like, we don't, like, every once in a while we'll catch one. And I was sitting on the couch. I was sitting on the couch and like, I'm always like impressed by like women who have like really nice arms and like, well, because you know, they put in a lot of time. Right. And I was like, oh yeah, well, I'll start working out when I retire. And I caught it. I was like, oh, I don't have a retirement date. That means I'm going to not work out for like a decade plus. Right. And I was like, is that acceptable? Is that a plan? Is it okay to not start working out till I'm in my 60s or whatever it might be? And because I caught that thought, I was able to like challenge it and be like, is that legitimately what I'm doing right now? And figuring out a way to put fitness into my life. Really, I mean, I did, I figured out the fitness thing, which is really figuring out like your mind and like how you want to be intentional. And like the beginning of kind of coaching was fitness for me. And then I was like, once you realize that and that you can change your life to envelop the fitness lifestyle. I was like, oh, what else? And I remember because I got, I, you know, I kind of had a coach at the beginning for fitness and she's like, if you do the fitness lifestyle for a year, you won't recognize yourself in a year. Mm. And I'm like, that's bullshit. I kind of know who I am. Like, what do you mean? I doubt it. <laughs> you know, like all the normal stuff. Right. And it's like every year now is just so different and more amazing than every year before it. And notice how, as Kelly mentioned, it's the small, consistent actions that we take that lead to the biggest changes. As I've said before, how we do one thing is how we do all things. And it starts with embodying the identity of the version of ourselves we most want to be. I was, uh, I was riding, you know, I was like doing like a horseback riding tour in Costa Rica and I was just thinking about my life and I was like, you know what, if I want things to be different, then I have to be different. It was very much like an identity thing, right? It was just like, wait, I can't be waiting around for shit to change. Like I've got to actually make the change. And I think fitness is one prime example. It's like, if we want to have arms, like, you know, that woman in Terminator. Yep. But you know exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. She had like these ripped yeah. arms, right? But if we want that, then we have to be the type of person that works out and trains our arms and does push-ups and bull-ups and all of this stuff. And then that gives you an example of like, oh, hey, I can change. I can do that. And then it just feeds into everything else in your life. Yeah, yeah. And then you become, you know, again, like I wasn't fully formed of like, of course, I'm a person who signs up for a TED Talk thing like actor dinner. And of course, I'm a person who writes a book. And of course, I'm a person who has because once you figure out like you're the one who does the things, then you're like, what's next? Let's do it. Yeah, exactly. And you get rid of, you know, get rid of all the excuses. Yeah, 100%. Because you're just like, you know what? It's possible and I'm going to do it. And if not me, like, why not me? Yeah. Why should it be anyone else? Like, Yeah. And failing's fine. 
Like try something and fail. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Might You might learn something. You might laugh. Yeah. I love Sarah Blakely from Spanx, how when she was younger, her dad would always be like, how did you fail today? And she would just go home and be like, I did this, I did that, and I did that. Not realizing that he was teaching her a huge and valuable life lesson about resilience and like, you know, how you respond to challenges and stuff like that. Yeah. So I thought yeah. I, I love her. I love that. I also love Gary Vaynerchuk when he's like, you know, go spend time with older people and you'll see what regret looks like. I take care of a lot of older people in my life. And it's like, it's not pretty, ma'am. It's not pretty. They're heavy. Mm-hmm. And to me, you know, like the, the thing of like, I would, when I'm done, like you can't squeeze one more drop out of my, you know, plan for life. Of like, I did it. I tried it. I did what she wanted to do. Like when you're done, you're done. You don't want to be done with regrets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's exactly why I'm doing this and trying to spread this message of like, let's apply these dying lessons now while we still have the time, while we're still living so that by the time we do die, we're just like, oh, yeah, I had a great fucking time. So I'm good. Like, you know, I don't want to. I want to live till, you know, I'm 155. But if it is what it is, then that's the way that it's going to be. And when it comes to living fully before we die, caring for ourselves, including our sexual needs and desires, is a huge component of that. I was going to say, you know how many women I see who are like, oh, well, I haven't taken care of myself in 15 years. I figured it's finally time. A lot of people are like, well, my husband died, so now it's time to take care of myself. Like, I see that all the time. And it's like, mm. why'd you wait? You know, because I'm never going to ask them that. Like, I'm so glad you're here is a more appropriate response. <laughs> but, but, you know, in my head, it's like, whoa, for like decades, you didn't take care of yourself. Yeah. And, you know, what are we teaching young girls and young brides that, like, you put your whole self away for the service of others until they're dead? Now it's your turn. Like, that's not explicitly written anywhere, but, like, people believe it. Mm-hmm. I actually had a friend who confided in us. She was like, for 20 years while I was married, I faked an orgasm the entire time, like 20 years. And I was just like, what is it about our culture or like how we're raised that makes women feel that their pleasure and by an extension, they themselves are like not a priority? And I bet you see this commonly too, right? Yeah, totally, totally. Well, you know, I, I, my answer is usually like lack of education of like, we never, if we don't, if we're not even allowed to say clitoris on social media, you know, let alone in sex ed, sex ed for me was uterus and ovaries. So like, we can't even say clitoris. And then we watch Hollywood movies. So we think that putting something in our vagina is supposed to get us off. And that's when sex starts. And that's when sex ends when he has an orgasm. Right. So like there's literally no room or education for a female orgasm in that scenario. And so she feels shame. She feels, you know, inadequate. She feels broken or she just wants the damn thing to end, which is another reason why women fake orgasms. So then you set up a, you know, a negative feedback loop of like this doesn't cause me to orgasm, but I gave the signals that it did. So like they're of course, they're going to repeat that behavior. Right. So you are kind of digging your own trap a little bit. Yeah. But really, it's interesting to change that around to be like, how are you contributing to faking an orgasm? Because we usually just blame our partner. Like, well, he he doesn't give me one, so I fake it. Like, yeah, but you're like reinforcing things going poorly. (laughs) He thinks it's the end of the party and you never were at the party. So, yeah, again, it's always I never blame 
the woman, I was, I blame our system, like complete lack of knowledge and education, complete lack of ability to communicate about sex. Mm-hmm. You're just talking about shame. Like there's so much when it comes to shame, like sexuality and stuff. And I think also why things like podcasts, it's just like a very intimate listening experience, right? No one knows that you're reading a book on the subway or whatever it is. You're just consuming the content, you know, by yourself. But what are some ways in terms of shame that people can address it and move forward from that? Like there's not having desire, body image issues, STDs, like all of this. Yeah. I mean, I think catching your thoughts again, like, you know, I was talking about is like realizing shame is an emotion that you might be really, really comfortable with, right? Not that you like shame, but like you're just kind of used to it. It's like you're wearing a heavy coat and it's July. You're like, I don't know. Is there, do people not wear heavy coats in July? Like, well, yeah. You can actually like learn to take that coat off. And shame, yeah, I like I like this. I think it's Brene Brown, like when you put sunlight on shame, like it really wants to hide. So like even just talking about it makes people feel so much better and like taking off that heavy coat of like, oh, I guess it wasn't that bad. Why was I avoiding that for seven years? You know, but like shame's meant to control, it's meant to keep people quiet, but like really talking about it. And realizing, you know, the difference between shame and guilt, right, is like guilt is I, I did a bad thing and, and shame is I am a bad thing. Mm. And like how yeah. we, how we frame, frame our perspective on that. And when guilt and shame are running the show, as they so often do when it comes to intimacy and sexuality, there is no room for agency and empowerment in our own lives. So the question becomes, how do we go from just being pulled along for the ride to being in the driver's seat? How do we go from being just a patron of the arts versus being the creative directors of our own lives? I think that's like the million dollar question I'm always trying to figure out is like, both with like sexual agency and just life like you're talking about is like getting people, you know, like if you, not that any of us are huge water skiers, but like, you know, when you're water skiing, like you're in the water and you're being pulled by the boat and like it's heavy and it's, you're like all you're kind of like vulnerable. And then like you stand up and now you're on top of the water and now it's fun and it's a ride. Mm-hmm. And it's like that transition from like being pulled by the boat to getting up on the water is the best metaphor I can come up with of like, when you get that agency, when you get that like, oh, I get it now. It's about what am I going to do with this life? I have the power. And mm-hmm. yeah, if you can figure out how to teach humans, women, anybody that like to stand up, right? Of like to be the person who's on top of the water. Yeah, absolutely. I think agency and empowerment is such a like huge thing that we all need to embrace more of. And especially like for me coming from like a background where it's very subservient, right? The Asian culture is just like, be small, make yourself small, don't take up space, don't, you know, don't like ruffle feathers and all this stuff. And so I love what you're doing too with empowering people for having sexual agency and realizing like their identity and stepping into that as sexual beings. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was on a podcast earlier today and the host was talking about like women just having sex because they think it's part of the marital contract, Mm -hmm. right? And like how that experience of a sex life is so much different from like, when I say no, it means no. When I say we have sex, it means we're going to, I'm going to try to have as much fun as you're going to have, right? Like a very different way than like, no means until you convince me, 
or I just do it to control somebody else's behavior mm. or something like that. So it's like completely different experiences based upon you feeling like you have agency to say no, to say yes, to talk about what's going right and what's not. It's like, that's my life's work. Like, I got to, you know, figure out how to, like, as much as, like, same with, like, sex desire, right? You can't just give somebody desire. Like, it's really an inside job. Yeah. And especially, you know, I know this is something that you talk about a lot, like this interplay between being present, the mind-body connection, and, you know, like, sexuality. And saying, like, that's an inside job, and we just can't be like, oh, flip a switch, I'm ready. Yeah. You know, how we think that we're supposed to be yeah. based on Hollywood or you know, culture. Well, yeah. And like, buy this vibrator, try this lube, put on this sexy lingerie. Like, it's just, again, an extension of our consumerism, you know, culture of like, you're not doing it right. Of like, yeah, all those things are nice, of course, but like, that's not where it comes from. Like, it's all just, just a little bit of work and like mindset and showing up and being willing to fail and mindfulness and presence and being a good listener and like all these things that add up to like an amazing life. Yeah. And things that we don't even realize are related to like our sex lives, right? Like we just think that it's just mechanics and, you know, arousal and whatever, porn or all these things, but not realizing that the keys to creating a fulfilling and meaningful life are the keys to creating a fulfilling and meaningful sex life as well. hundred percent. Completely. Like, you know, people are like, I just want the five top tips to blah, blah, blah. And because that's what you read about, mm -hmm. right? But it's like how you think about your body and how you treat your body and how you think about your partner and how grateful you are. And like, you know, all these, how well you are at letting grippy thoughts go, you know, when you get distracted, like all huge for sex. I just think sex is like the final frontier of personal growth of like everything you do to have a better sex life spills over into the rest of your life. Like, of course, why aren't you going to try to have fun? Spill that over. You can tell that Kelly has a lot of thoughts about sex and that helping people with their sex lives is, by extension, her contribution towards improving their lives in general. So of course, I knew she'd have a lot to say about purpose and the twists and turns it took for her to become, as she says, more of her fully formed self. I'm always curious in terms of having guests on about purpose and for me, purpose a lot of times is kind of like chaos theory where these things don't seem to make sense, totally unrelated. And then you kind of get into it and you sit into it and then you you look back and you're like, oh, like I did this and I did this and I did this and it all makes sense. And it coalesces into like this living, being, breathing thing. Do you feel like you have that now? Because I, I know you were like a neuroscience major in undergrad and you did all these other things. Can you comment on like yeah. your purpose? and? I think you're right because like it makes more sense looking backwards <laughs> than looking forward, right? Like I have a friend, she's the daughter of a friend and like these young kids, they're so stressed because they're trying to figure it out going forward, right? Like what's my purpose? What do I want to do? What's my plan? And it's like you're trying to figure it out before you've done a damn thing, right? And it's paralyzing to them instead of like, Famously, Steve Jobs is the one who's like, I had no idea that taking a calligraphy class, it, you know, an undergrad led me to like appreciating design, which we put into Apple products. And like looking backwards, it's very obvious the, the pathway, but you don't see it going forward. So to take the stress off the young people of like purpose isn't figured out 
but you know, before I think. And then like I was joking a couple of years ago of like, oh my God, what if my whole purpose in life is just to tell people to use vaginal estrogen cream? Like <laughs> that's gonna be the lamest purpose in the entire world. And like I still keep coming back to it. I'm like, no, legitimately, I think maybe sometimes God has just put me on the planet to be like, and don't forget about the vaginal estrogen cream. It'll change your life and prevent a lot of heartache. And lube and lube. And lube and lube. But other people are saying that. So <laughs> it's a but looking like neuroscience, I loved the brain, didn't do neurosurgery because that's like insane and neurology like you could tell people what was wrong but you can't really help them that was my judgment mm. but then coming back to like you know doing the life coaching of like i can make your pelvis perfect but if you don't clean up your biggest sex organ which is your brain that's where all your power is that's where all you know you get your results and your actions and your thoughts and all that stuff and so like coming back of like oh, of course i was interested in the brain and like came back to that but going forward, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be a neuroscience undergrad. Then I'm going to do urology and do a shit ton of surgery for a while. And then I'm going to become a life coach after I figure out female sexual health. Like, you know, you cannot plot that on a, you know, it's not linear. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I mean, the overall like purpose of my, like to me, I'm like understanding myself better and better and better. You know, as much as like helping my kids be the best adults, you know, that they can be. And hopefully not passing on childhood trauma, you know, that I had, you know, like undoing the familial cultural trauma that goes down from generations of like, if I can be part of like breaking those are by multitude mm -hmm. of purpose, I guess. Yes. Like what were some things looking back now as an adult that you recognized were kind of passed down traumas as a kid or generational things that you purposely had to maybe address or deal with? One's alcohol, huge, huge, huge alcohol in, in both sides of the family. And just realizing I think a lot of the dysfunction came from that. And then I'd say dealing dealing with your like problems in life with anger is generational trauma for for my family. And for me to be like, I'm going to consciously try to like maybe have anger be like the third emotion that comes out <laughs> not, and not the first. I'd say those are, are my two familial like generational traumas that I'm like, let's, let's consciously try to not have that in our family. Right. I know Tony Robbins is always saying like, everyone has an emotional home that they go to when they, you know, get stressed or overwhelmed, right? And for a lot of people, that's anger. And I had a, I had a psychiatrist once who I was working with, um, and he was saying like, anger is kind of like rain, you know, it's not raining on you specifically. It's just happens to be raining. And if you're out in the rain, you're going to get wet. And so it kind of takes a little bit of that burden off like, oh, they're angry at me, like pissed off at me. And on the flip side, it's like, if it's sunny, it's not, the sun's not shining on you specifically. It's just sunny in general. And so like, I, I remember that very, very clearly about anger. And it's, it just kind of takes a load off in terms of dealing with the emotion because we think it's something bigger than it is, but at the end of the day, it's an emotion. It's emotional home. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, for some people, some people don't understand anger at all, but some people, you know, intergenerationally were raised around anger and you're like, that's how you, how do you know you're alive if you're not like passionately upset about something and miss the nuances when you lead with anger. And a lot of people will say, like, underneath anger, there's always something else, which I think it can be quite true. But 
sometimes anger is just anger. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of times what's under anger is like feeling inadequate or feeling like you're being judged or feeling threatened or feeling fearful. Like there's always something like anger can be one of those. I think Brene Brown goes into that of like, there's always something underneath that anger. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And to wrap things up, here's a couple of questions to enhance your daily gratitude and give you a different filter or perspective on life. So I wanted to switch gears and kind of just ask a question that I ask at the end of um, interviews. Can you name something in your everyday life that you find beautiful? Oh, the view out my window is insane. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I love my kids' hands. Why? They're little. They're just so little and perfect. How old are they? Four and a half and seven. Oh, so you've got these like little appendages that are yeah, going to grow just, up to be. They're perfect. Hopefully they'll still want to hold my hands when they have big hands. But I love <laughs> holding little hands. It's the best thing ever. <laughs> so beautiful. What does a life well lived mean to you? Awareness. Being like just seeing things. Then coming back to the present moment as much as you can. Like to me, I'm like, yeah, 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 all this sex ed stuff that I do. But I'm like, truthfully, if I could be like the female Eckhart Tolle by the end of my life, that would be sweet of like, just tell people to like, keep coming back to the present moment. I love it. Love, I love all of that. I love the awareness. I love awareness of our behavior. Awareness of why we're doing things. Awareness of why I feel a certain way. So to me, like, oh, if I was to get a tattoo, I have zero tattoos. It would probably say awareness. Mm. Yeah, I have zero tattoos as well. My husband has a bunch. But yeah, it, it really jives with kind of like the intentional thing that we're always preaching in hospice and palliative care, right? It's just like, this is it. This is your moment right now. This is all you've got. Like going forward, you don't know what's going to happen. But right now, you do know. And stay in this moment and things will be a little bit easier because you're not your head's not elsewhere. You're not in the past. You're not in the future. You're right here. And that is like an enlightened state of being. Yeah. Like what a gift. What a gift that you get to share that with people. So how was that? There's very few people who like you can just like start talking and go deep. And to me, I feel like you're one of those people. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Same. I almost feel like it was in, I was like in a trance state, you know, just speaking. I was just kind of like, oh, we're just going to go with the flow and, you know, we, we drive and that sort of thing. Was there anything that we touched on that you wanted to expand on further or something that you, we didn't talk about that you wanted to mention? I don't think so. How about you? Yeah. I think it's just really nice to see people who are like, dedicated to their own growth as a vehicle of being able to impact others' lives. Yeah. That's what you're trying to do. That's what I'm trying to do. And it's hard work, man. <laughs> like some days I'm just like, this is a lot. This is a lot. <laughs> well, you know, it's the same as like, you know, reading the academic journals on the couch of like, doesn't everybody want to like return to the present moment and practice that and like come up with you know, my brother, uh, luckily I have a brother who's 
an amazing gift in my life. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm doing a 90-day challenge and I'm taking my four biggest obstacles in life and I'm going to like meditate on them every day and blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm all in. I'm doing it too. And so like I came up with impatience, perfectionism, and reactivity. I haven't come up with a fourth one yet. And I'm like, doesn't everybody just want to do that? (laughs) Doesn't everybody want to like Like, pay attention to how perfectionism is impacting their life and like meditate on that for a 90-day challenge? No? No? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's hard, but man, it's fucking fun. It so is. It really is. And just like looking back six months, a year, like five years for me too, like, because I was a mess five years ago. And just looking back at the person I was then and looking at the person I am now and the person I'm becoming, I think that is so exciting to just yeah. be like, oh shit, look at all the possibility. Like, you know, that coach when she's like, you won't recognize yourself in a year. And I'm like, bullshit. And now I'm like, woo, let's do another year of this. This is going to be good. I'm not going to recognize her. What else can we do? And I'm like, I'm going to have to like learn Ukrainian or something at some point. Just like, you know, why are you learning? Why are you learning your fifth language? Because you can. I don't know. It's fun. Yeah. Why not? Because I got a great big brain in this skull and I'm going to flex it. Yeah. And like, I think gratitude comes in with that of like, oh my God, do you realize we have the internet and you can talk to anybody in the world and create and share? Like, this is insanity what's happening in the world right now. And like the power and the gift of like, you've got a computer in your pocket. You can just be like, hey, Kathy, how's the latte today? Like, it's insanity. Like, I mean, grandparents never had that. And like, let alone the 40,000 years before them. Mm -hmm. Like, and the, and the gratitude of that, of like, oh my God, look what's available to us. Yeah. It's just the simple things, honestly. It's like the little things that were just like, it's the little moments that make up a life. That's what I always say. It's like, we always think it's like, I got married, I had my kid, and those are amazing. But it's these little things that if we can just be like, holy crap, look at the time we're in, then it makes it that much more meaningful and, and beautiful too, to be able to live this life so that when you do get to the end, you're like, holy shit. I did great, man. I did great. Yeah. Don't forget to have... People take people take things way too seriously. They really do. And I think you get trained that way. You know, doctors get trained that way. Of Like, there's some very serious things that doctors have to learn to deal with. But then we end up letting that spill over into the rest of our life. Everything is serious and everything has to be perfect and we can never fail. And, like, it just, like, bleeds onto the rest of our life. And then we're like, why is life not fun? Yeah. I once spent 30 minutes trying to decide on a spatula color literally (laughs) 30 minutes right it was like one of those things where it's like you get you know if you buy whatever you don't fuck it up (laughs) it was like spend 50 dollars, get free shipping and I was like I don't need it but I'm gonna get it so I get the free shipping and then I couldn't not decide and it was like a life or death thing and I spent so much of my time from like who the fuck cares Mm -hmm. but literally that's what I was obsessed with because like you said, it bleeds over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, there's got to be a right answer. I was I was coaching a, a surgeon and it was, she was trying to decide like, should I stay in my current job or should I go to this other job offer, right? Like, see, I'm not going to downplay that. It was kind of a big decision. But I was like, what if there, and she was, I'm like, how much of this is you trying to figure out the right decision? And she's like, yeah, yeah, no, that's what this is about. There's a right decision and I don't know what it is. And I'm like, what if there's not a right decision? What if you just make a decision and you go all in and you don't doubt it? Just pick a decision. Then that's the right one by definition. 
And she's like, ooh, not cool with that idea. <laughs> like, you know, like, <laughs> whoa, you mean you just make a decision? And it's like, yeah, 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 you just make one. Yeah. You just, and then you just have your back the rest of the time. Yeah. You're like, ooh. Exactly. That's tough, man. You just have to trust that, like, I'm, I'm going to be able to deal with it no matter what choice I make, even if it could be the wrong one. Yeah. Or maybe there isn't a wrong one. Maybe there isn't a right one. Maybe you just got to pick. Thank you so much to Dr. Kelly Casperson. Make sure to check out her podcast, You Are Not Broken. And I love her story because I also found myself on autopilot, not feeling fulfilled, dreaming about my best life, but not having the guts to do anything about it. That is until I hired my own coaches who helped me accelerate the growth journey I was already on. So if you found yourself nodding along as we were talking and you know that you're meant for so much more than what you're doing right now, but you just don't know how to do it, then click on the link in my show notes. It will take you to my website where you can book a free coaching call with me and you can experience the magic of coaching yourself. And if we happen to be a good fit for each other, we can talk about the next steps. What have you got to lose? I cannot wait to speak with you. And until then, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. I will see you next week. Hey friends, if you love what I'm doing on this podcast and love who I'm interviewing, I want to encourage you to join the private membership where you get a front seat pass with all of my interviews and you can even ask them questions. In addition, there's going to be group coaching with me and my upcoming guest coach to take this work, to go deeper, to live your best sex and love life. Join today at www.kellycaspersonmd.com membership. I'll see you on the inside.